Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Good morning and welcome to the Crosswinds Spirit Lake campus. It's great to have you. A little announcement before we actually jump into our study today. I noticed a number of you have picked up on this. We're doing name tags a little differently here after Easter. Let me explain to you why we made uh, the change. Um, one of the difficult things we have at Crosswinds is to actually do attendance on, on Sunday. And after a while, we realize we start missing people and we don't have a chance to follow up with people. So this is the way we're going to try and do it. A couple other churches do it this way. We're doing it with name tags. You see, if your name tag is still on the wall on Monday morning, we know you weren't here. So that way we can figure out who's not been here. And if you haven't been here for a few weeks, we're going to try and give you a call and follow up and check on you. And it's just actually a way we're trying to hold on to our second core value because one of our core values is authentic relationships, which means we genuinely care about you. And if you haven't been here for a while, we genuinely care and want to find out and call and see how things are going. So I really appreciate you guys taking the name tags and wearing them, and it's our way of attendance. By the way, if you happen to wear a lanyard because you're a greeter or you work at the coffee bar, please take down your name tag anyway, because that way at least I know that you are here. Now, uh, others of you said, well, I looked up there and I didn't find my name tag. Well, here's what you need to do. If you look on your um, yellow card, right on here is a, a an area on the very top, it says, I need a name tag. And what you do is you fill this out, leave this in the pews, and make sure that box is checked. It's a little bold box. And next week, guess what? You'll have one. Welcome to the family. And we'll be making sure we have a chance to follow up with you. And I appreciate your patience as we try something new and try and make sure we do a better job of valuing one another and caring for one another and following up when you're absent. We also had a very busy but also a very good Easter week. Just, just so you know, uh, we had just short of 600 people go through the Experience the Passion on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday last week. And we had just short of 700 people uh, in attendance at the Easter Center, at the Sammy Center at the Easter service. So that was really good. I'm just blown away that God was so gracious to have such good attendance and so many people could hear about Jesus Christ and his resurrection and his death in our place for our sins. So we're just excited about that. Today we are uh, going back to 1 Timothy and continue our studies in the book of 1 Timothy. Now just to get you back on track, remember that the, the letter of 1 Timothy was actually written by the Apostle Paul to a young man who was the pastor of the church of Ephesus. It was a large church. It was a big church. It was a very tough church for young Timothy to pastor. So Paul writes this letter to him, and actually he writes two letters to Timothy, to try and give him guidance as he pastors. One of the things that Timothy needs to do is he's trying to bring order to this church because there's a bunch of people who had gone screwball on them. And three weeks ago, when we were in the text, we saw some of the ways these people had gone screwball. Uh, we had people in the church that were thinking that they were more spiritual or more pleasing to God if they adopted an ascetic lifestyle. Now, some of you said to me afterwards, I don't know what the word ascetic means. 
It means simply self-denial. It's things you're not going to have in your life. And what these guys were denying themselves of was marriage and meat. What they were was they were celibate vegans. And they figured, you know, that God was more pleased with them if they didn't get married. And they were celibate in their lifestyle. And God was more pleased with them if they just ate salad all day long instead of meat. And uh, you think this is really sort of far-fetched and nobody in the modern world would ever think that way. But it really it uh, touches close to home. Think about the Catholic Church. What are the priests to be? Celibate. Why? Because it's more spiritual. It's more pleasing to God. And Paul says, guys, this is actually a demonic doctrine. It's like serious error. Because the reality is God made male. God made female. He made us sexual beings. And God is the one who created the institution of marriage. And he created the joy that is to be found in marriage. And when that joy is experienced... It should result in greater worship and honor to Jesus Christ and God for his good gifts. And God is the one who created meat. Steak is God's idea. Yeah, praise God. There you go, right? It's a good idea. I think marriage is a better idea, but I'll take meat anyway. You know, and you have lobster and shrimp and, you know, barbecued ribs, you know, those are all good things, and we should enjoy them. And as we enjoy them, what should we do in our heart? Thank you, God, for barbecue. It produces more worship and honor and glory. So what you have is you have in the one corner the lonely, frustrated, celibate salad eaters who aren't enjoying their lunch at all. And then you have in the other corner the people who are married, and they're thanking God for their spouse. What a good gift. And they're also having steak and barbecue. And they're thanking God for food. And Paul says, you know, the reality is the people who are praising God are giving God more glory for his good gifts. And that's the way he wants things. The other one's the teaching of demons. Now, that brings us to our text this morning. Because you could actually take what we learned three weeks ago and actually make an error out of it. Some people would say, well, as Christians, is that all you do? <laughs> do you just enjoy pleasures all day long and say, thank you, God, for all the wonderful good pleasures you've given to me? Is there no self-discipline in your life? No self-restraint? No control? Well, Paul says, actually, yes, as Christians, there is a fair amount of self-discipline, self-restraint, and self-control to the Christian life. But it's not primarily about what we don't do. It's primarily about what we do do. We restrain ourselves and discipline ourselves to focus on Jesus Christ and to knowing Him better and enjoying Him more. And that brings us to what we're going to focus on today, which is essentially Paul talking about our self-discipline and self-restraint so we get to know Jesus better. And he's going to tie this whole thing in sort of in a fitness motif. Really, he is. So all the gym rats, you have a couple gym rats around here who like to go to the Y? Okay, we're bringing a lot of application today, I can tell you that. 
Thank you, Spence. All right. I got somebody going to the Y back there. Well, if you, you know, if you or you're a gym rat and you like to keep in fit and you like to, uh, you know, make sure your body is well disciplined and under control, well, you're going to like this message because this is the way the whole thing falls together. Because if you have been into physical fitness, you know there are two things that are essential for physical fitness. One is diet, and the other is exercise. And verse 6 is about our spiritual diet, and verse 7 is about our spiritual exercise. And what he's going to do, he's going to put this whole thing together as if you were looking at it for physical fitness, with physical diet and physical exercise. But he's going to parallel it with spiritual fitness and spiritual exercise. So we're just going to jump right in the text. I'm going to show you how this falls together. First thing we're going to talk about is the discipline of diet. And he says this, we have to feed on the nutritious word of God is what he tells us to do. He says it here. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Now, let's begin at the top. If you put these things before the brothers, what are the these things that he's talking about? He's referring to what we talked about uh, three weeks ago, the idea that marriage and meat are part of God's goods gifts and they should be enjoyed. And then he says this, being trained in the words of faith. Now this word being trained is actually very interesting because when you look at it in the original language, what it refers to is being nourished. It literally refers to feeding healthy food to children so they grow up strong. Now, moms, isn't that what you do? You feed your kid healthy food so you grow up so they grow up strong, right? Make sure they eat their vegetables. Remember, you know, the big battle at dinner, eat your veggies, all that kind of good stuff. What Paul is talking about here, though, is not primarily um, physical nourishment. He's talking about spiritual nourishment. We learned this in the very beginning of the series in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, that Timothy grew up in a Christian home. It talks about his mother, Eunice, who was a Christian, who trained him in the Word of God. And his grandmother, Lois, was a Christian who trained him in a word of the Word of God. So as he was a kid, Growing up, they fed him on the nutritious word of God when he was young. All throughout his formative years, they were pouring into him the word of God. I picture them taking him to Awana during midweek. I picture them taking him to Crosswinds Academy on Sunday morning. And they went to Hidden Acres, the Christian camp in the summer. I'm sure they had all those pieces in his life when he was a kid. They're pouring into him so he would grow healthy and strong. Now, kids, I want to talk to you for a moment. You're between age 5 and 15. You need to understand something. You're coming to church with your parents and you say, well, maybe I know. Do I have to come to church with my parents? Here is the deal. You are so fortunate to have parents who are pouring into you the Word of God while you are young. 
the verses that they are teaching you, the things that you are learning at Awana, God will use those for the rest of your life. The memory verses you learn at Awana will be coming back to your mind when you are 40, 50, 60, 70 years old because of the foundations your parents made in your life at that time. You are so privileged. The education you get in a good Christian home is like a year or more of a college education in Bible. That's the equivalent. Kids, you are so fortunate. And that is what Timothy had. And that is what prepared Timothy as the foundation. Ultimately, that he would be able to be the pastor of a church like Ephesus. One of the largest churches in the ancient world, yet when he was still just young. His parents, his home, it's valuable. Not only that, but he... Uh, you know, we, we know this earlier in our studies that he began traveling with the Apostle Paul. And so he went from being trained by his mom to being discipled by his mentor. Once again, constantly being the Word of God being poured into his life. And here's where it gets interesting. This word being trained, where it says literally um, being nourished, it's in the present tense. So it doesn't refer to just something that took place in the past, but it refers to something that started in the past that was to continue in the present. The idea is that Timothy was trained in the Word of God. He's continued, he is supposed to continue to train himself in the Word of God now that he is a mature adult. He has to keep his finger in the text and to continue running the Word of God through his life. Think of it this way. Many of you know that when you're, you're kids, moms make sure that you eat healthy and good food. You know, eat your vegetables, and she has all the good food on the table. But then when you get to become a teenager, what happens when mom sort of loses control of your diet? You know, it's uh, Jimmy John's constantly, which is not all bad. And, you know, it's all kinds of junk food, chocolate, milk, and your diet sort of goes down. And you don't end up as nutritious and as healthy. Somewhere along the line, you have to take it on yourself. And my mom fed me well and nutritious. Now I'm going to take care of feeding my body well. The same thing is going on with Timothy. His mom fed him on the Word of God. Now that you're on your own, you have to make sure you continue to feed yourself on the Word of God. It's about diet. You have to feed yourself on God's Word. In fact, it says this. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what the Scriptures are saying is just as, just as essential is daily bread for physical life is the Word of God for spiritual life. We must keep our finger in the text. And Timothy has to do that as well. The other thing that is, Paul tells him is to avoid spiritual junk food. Avoid spiritual junk food. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Some of you have older translations that may say this. Avoid old wives' tales. And that is actually a very literal translation of what the Greek says. It says old wives' tales. And the Greek philosophers of the day 
would say that an old wives' tale would be a common saying that a lot of people believe that actually has no verifiable truth. Let me give you an example of some of the old wives' tales that I grew up around. When I was growing up, my mom would drink coffee. She loved coffee, but she said, don't drink coffee because it'll stunt your growth. You ever heard that one? Well, it, it worked. I never really drank coffee until I was actually in, in my, almost my late 20s. But uh, does coffee stunt your growth? No. It's an old wives' tale. I'll give you another one that came from the male side of my family. Because, you know, you're growing up and you don't want to eat your vegetables. The men in our house would say this, eat your vegetables and put some hair in your chest. Well, I'm here to tell you that's an old wives' tale. But I do eat a lot of vegetables. It worked. I, I love salad. But what are the old wives' tales that Timothy is dealing with? Well, they don't have to do with vegetables. They don't have to do with caffeine. They have to do with this. That God wants you to focus on a bunch of other things besides Jesus. That you're more spiritual if you're um, not married. Remember that? That you're more spiritual if you're just eating salad and not having meat. And Paul says to Timothy, those are old wives' tales. They're silly myths. What makes us in our relationship with God real is our relationship with Jesus Christ. That is what we focus on. Now, what are some of the old wives' tales and silly myths that are going around today that we have to avoid? Let me give you some examples. You ever heard of Benny Hinn? You ever heard of Sereflo Dollar or Sereflo Dollar, however you want to pronounce him? They say that the Bible is all about prosperity and money. It's not. It's about Jesus. Be Baptist. Say amen to that one. It is. Let me give you another example. Joe Olstein. And he says it's all about success and happiness and smiles. It's not about this. It's about Jesus Christ. Avoid him. He's a silly myth. Sarah Young, she has one of the most popular books out there today. And she says that Jesus is speaking to her directly, and she's got new revelation, and you don't really need this thing that's called the Bible. No. It's like, no. Stay away from her. She has silly myths. Reject all that kind of stuff. The simple point is this. If you want to be spiritually healthy and strong, you need to feed yourself the nutritious, wholesome Word of God, and you need to reject spiritual junk food. It's the only way you're going to grow up and be healthy and strong. It's the only way you can have any kind of spiritual fitness. It's no different than physical fitness. If you go to McDonald's five days a week, guess what? You're going to have a cholesterol problem. You can't do it. So, that's the first thing. It's about our spiritual diet. Feed ourselves on the Word of God. Just like when he was young, Timothy needed to continue to feed on it when he was old. Same with us. Second thing is the discipline of exercise. And it comes about and says this, make fitness a part of your routine. And literally, Paul says this, rather train yourself for godliness. Now this is interesting. This word train is the Greek word gumadzo, which comes over into English, which is we get, we get, where we get our word gymnasium. Same thing. And it literally refers to training. It refers to exercise. 
Now, in the ancient world, every city had a gamadzo or a gym. Today we call it the local YMCA, where everybody goes. Ephesus had a gamadzo, where people exercised and they worked out. And young men and young women in this culture especially were encouraged for exercise and physical self-discipline. And the young men and women were involved in sports. Actually, it looked very similar to Iowa in the sense that, you know how we have all these sports for our kids in high school? And kids are encouraged to be in all these self-disciplined activities? It's the same thing in the ancient world. A lot of Families went to it. It's the same thing. Same thing happened. But here's the thing. This word gamazo has to do with discipline. It has to do with sweat. It has to do with working out. It has to do with working hard in something. And Paul says to Timothy, train yourself for godliness. Work hard. Sweat. Put effort into becoming a godly man. And once again, it's a present tense verb. It doesn't mean just do this one time, but it means start in the past and continue throughout your life. Do your best to be in top spiritual fitness condition, focusing on Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Now, some of you think, well, here's the deal. I go to church and I have a Bible. That means I'm spiritually fit. That's like saying you have a YMCA membership makes you fit. The YMCA membership doesn't make you fit. It's going to the Y and actually putting some sweat and effort onto the machines that helps make you fit. Having a Bible doesn't make you a godly man or a godly woman. Opening this book, putting sweat an effort into reading it and rereading it and studying it is what helps make you a godly man or a godly woman. See, the first part here talks about feed yourself the Word of God, and now he's saying work hard in the Word of God to read it, to know it, to understand it, to apply it, to become a man of God. Now, I'm going to give you at the end here a little plan on what a spiritual workout routine looks like, but for the, now let me just continue on in the text where he says one of my favorite verses here. Physical fitness has value. And he says this, bodily training has some value. I always liked that growing up. Because I grew up in a house that physical fitness wasn't that much of a priority. Now, I was a little different. I started wrestling when I was young, and I really enjoyed physical activity. I still do. And... and I thought this was so neat that it says right here in the scriptures that physical training has value. You know, we're not just spiritual beings, we're physical beings. You feel better, you think better, you're more patient, you're more kind, you're more loving, and hopefully you'll last longer. You'll be around to hear, see your grandchildren if you do some physical training, physical discipline. In fact, some of you may need to just say, this is where we're going to apply this. I'm going to apply this message because it says in Scripture that physical training does have value, and I haven't given any kind of physical discipline to my life. Haven't gone for walks, haven't gone to the Y. Maybe I need to start doing that. It has value. But this is what Paul says. While physical training has value, 
But spiritual fitness, he says, has more value. Plus, it doesn't fade away. Godliness is of value, he says, in every way. And it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. One hour in the YMCA for physical fitness is good. That's what the scriptures say. But one hour, if you put some time into Bible study and prayer and time with your Christian friends, it's actually better. That's what he's saying. It helps you fall in love with Jesus more. It helps you know Jesus more. And then you start to live like Jesus more. You become better parents. You become kinder. You become gentler. become more joyous. The fruit of the Spirit that it talks about in Galatians starts to come out of your life more. Physical exercise has its limitations. Because anybody who's done physical exercise knows one week out of the gym and you're getting out of shape. But spiritual exercise is different. It builds you up and it doesn't leave you. The memory verses that I learned when I was five, six, and seven years old still come back to my mind today. And they'll still come back to your mind when you learn them too. The things you learn in God's Word, God will continually be recycling them all your life long. That won't happen with a physical workout. But it will happen with a spiritual workout in God's Word. And not only that, but when we die, the one thing we can take with us through the grave is our spiritual maturity. Our physical exercise, you know, it doesn't matter how much you work out, you're still going to die and go in the grave. But everything you've learned about Jesus Christ and all the maturity that's happened in your character lasts for this life and into the life to come. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. It's not going to last. But we do it, we an imperishable wreath. Physical fitness is important. Disciplining yourself and working hard for spiritual fitness is even more important. Now, the big question as I looked through this text, I said, Paul is very clear. All right, it's about diet and exercise. Diet is the Word of God. Exercise means here we have to sweat. We need to study this Word. We need to work in this Word. But he didn't give us what I would call a spiritual fitness plan. And I thought to myself, what I'd like to do is give you a little spiritual fitness plan here, the last part of the message. Um, I'm going to be your trainer. You guys ready to, re to exercise? Okay, here, here's what it looks like. Number one, what does a spiritual fitness plan look like? Number one, all spiritual fitness is about knowing Christ, period. 2 Corinthians 11.3, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Spiritual fitness is not about celibacy. It's not about salad eating. It's about knowing Jesus Christ. That is always the goal. Don't let anybody distract you from something else. Number two, spiritual fitness involves a regular workout in the Bible. We covered this verse before. 
But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let me just parallel this before you go any further on the next page. If you want to do a physical workout in the YMCA, if you run into the YMCA and lift a few things here and there, will you get fit physically? Thank you, Carl. There's my YMCA guy. No. Just a little haphazard here and there won't get you fit physically. Scott knows the same thing. You need a plan, right? You need a... You have a plan when you go to the Y, you have a workout routine, and that sticking to that routine is what gets you fit. It's no different spiritually. You don't just happen to pick up, well, I'm in Genesis chapter 3 today, and I think we'll go to Revelation and just randomly skip around. You have a plan to consecutively work your way through the Word of God. And on the back here, I have some of the plans I can give you. Number one, we are reading through the New Testament in a year as a church. You know that. Uh, we're doing one chapter on Monday through Friday. In fact, there's a little bookmark that's right at the Connection Center. You can pick one up. If you do not have a plan, pick that one up. Start reading one chapter of the New Testament consecutively each day. Another thing you can do, there's 30 or 31 days in a month. Every once in a while there's 29, but we'll leave that alone. Proverbs has how many chapters? 31. Read the chapter of Proverbs that corresponds with the day of the week. It's a plan. That's the key thing. Have a plan. Or maybe this. Read and reread some of Paul's letters like Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Read and reread 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, or Titus. Get a plan to consecutively read through Scripture. Number three, when it comes to spiritual fitness, it means meditating on the Bible, not just reading the Bible. If you go into the YMCA and you say, well, I'm going to get fit and I'm going to do five reps on every machine and just quickly move through it, I'm not going to get you fit. You didn't stress or strain any muscles. If you've been around physical fitness for a while, you know you take one or two body parts and you work them to fatigue. Right, guys? That's the way those body parts get stronger. And it's the same thing when it comes to Bible study. Many of us, what we do is we say, I have 10 minutes to read the Bible. I'm going to read straight through for 10 minutes. The clock goes off at the end of 10 minutes. You close the book and you don't remember a single thing you read. Anybody have that happen? Just me. Okay, a couple of you are honest. Right. I, I read the Bible, but I don't remember what I read because I just read it quickly and skimmed right through it. You know, it's not a matter of your IQ. It's not a matter of your age. It's a matter of your reading style. Numerous times throughout the Scriptures, it talks about the importance of not just reading God's Word, but of meditating on God's Word. Don't let that word be stolen by a bunch of Near Eastern guys and they think it's something weird. It just simply means read, reread, read again, and put the sweat, the mental effort into thinking about what you just read. Not just letting it run through your mind, but thinking about it. And um, this is very important because otherwise, when you read it, you won't remember anything unless you meditate on it. Look what Scripture says in James 1.25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, that's God's Word, 
and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. Looking intently here means to meditate, to think about something. So here's what I'd like to challenge you in just a theoretical way. Say you give yourself 10 minutes to read the Bible a day in the morning. Maybe some of you give yourselves more. That's great. Instead of reading for 10 minutes straight, closing the book and not remembering a thing, read less, remember more. Read for five minutes, stop and reread what you just read. And read it again. Get a pencil out. Get a pen out. Circle. Underline. Look up. This is so essential. It's not reading, but it's meditation that always precedes application. Meditation precedes application. Look what it says here in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. His book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it, there it is again, day and night, so that you may be careful to do, there's application, according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Both James and Joshua talk about the importance of meditating on the Word. Then you will find application of the Word. This is the hard work part. This is the spiritual sweat. It's hard to reread and to think deeper. But that is what gives you results, isn't it? We're after results to become more godly men and women. And that's what it will give it to us. It's our gym workout. Number four, spiritual fitness involves accountability. Uh, just so you know, when you go to the gym, you will always find yourself working out harder, more faithfully, and longer if you have a workout partner, right? Somebody to hold you accountable. And when it comes to faithfully reading through God's Word, we are much better when somebody holds us accountable. Now, I, I know this is foreign to a lot of us because the only thing of personal Bible study is it's just about me. But if you maybe you have a, a, a guy in your life, you're a guy and you have a guy, that, friend that you can trust to hold you accountable, when you get together for breakfast once a week, say, hey, please ask me if I read my Bible this week. If I read my Bible three times, that's my goal. Hold me accountable. Most likely you'll do it then. So find an accountability partner spiritually. Number five, spiritual fitness involves journaling. Now, if you go to the gym, uh, you know this. When you lift weights, you have to write down what you lifted, right? So you figure out where you were so you know what to do next and so you can challenge yourself and push yourself. You have to journal for physical fitness. And it's no different for spiritual fitness. You spend time in God's Word. You read it. You reread about it. You read it a bunch of, time, bunch of times, and all of a sudden, it's starting to, you're starting to apply it to your life. Then what do you do? Take pen in hand or take the little iPhone or iPad, and you write in your journal, here is the verse I meditated on, and here is what God was telling me to apply to my life that day. You write it down. Because what happens then is you go, later in the week, you go, oh, I remember, 
that I, I read about that in the quiet time. That would be so perfect for this. But it's gone. Unless you can go back to your journal. And there it is. And you can apply it and reapply it to your life. The last thing I have for spiritual fitness is this. Spiritual fitness involves prayer. I think of prayer a little bit like the cardio of the workout routine. Honestly, it is. It's something we don't always like to do, but it's very important for us to do. Because the Bible tells us about prayer, it's this thing. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. The picture is that the Scriptures want us to be in prayer all the time about everything, every challenge that we face. Teenagers, you go to a test, you should be praying about it. Mom and dad, as you're going through the difficulties of parenting, pray about all the challenges. Pray about your finances. Constantly be praying about your marriage. Praying about your business. Constantly be giving these things to God, and He will respond by answering your prayers. Let me give you some other ways to get uh, some discipline in here. As the spring comes around like we have today, one of the things our family likes to do is go for prayer walks. I'm a very ADD person. You put me alone in the corner and say, pray for a half hour, I'm asleep. Or I'm doing something else or distracted. But if I go for a prayer walk, we've done this as a family. We pray together. And we pray for our neighborhood. We pray over the challenges we face. But a walk keeps us going. Another thing, prayer prompts. Let me give you this one as we close up. Prayer prompts is you take something and it reminds you to pray. Uh, the Puritans were really big at this. The, they were sort of funny. They had a lot of buttons in those days. They had prayer prompts. Uh, each button was to prompt them to pray about something different. Uh, thank goodness we're mostly zippers nowadays. Uh, but this is what I do. My prayer prompts are this. If I pass a church in town where I know the pastor, that's my prompt, and I pray for him. Honestly. If I pass a church in town where I know the pastor, that's how I remind myself to stop and, or just pray for him as I drive by. What this means is Pastor Clint gets lots of prayer. Real estate is everything. Location, 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 right? You just go back and forth right by Clint all the time. But, so that's the spiritual fitness routine that I have given you. Read God's Word. It's nutritious. Get in it with a plan. Don't just read through it quickly. Meditate on it. Think about it. Apply it. Have somebody hold you accountable. Journal. Write down what you're reading and learning. And then pray. Pray all the time about everything. My challenge for us today is to get fit. Physical fitness. It has value. Go to the gym. I mean, it's okay. Eat right. But spiritual fitness, it has even greater value. Feed yourself on the nutritious Word of God. And don't just uh, read it quickly, but meditate on it, chew on it, sweat over it, and study it. And let God use it to change your life as you get fit for Jesus. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for this real practical challenge from your word. That we should be training ourselves in your word. Studying it and sweating over it. But we know that the reason we do this is because we want results. We want to become more godly men and women. And life change is produced not just by touching your word, 
but by meditating on it and applying it to our lives. So I ask this week that you would keep us away from spiritual junk food. Consistently help us to get your word in our lives and to work hard at it, thinking about it, chewing on it, applying it into our lives, seeing all the parallels between physical fitness and spiritual fitness that go together as we get fit for Jesus Christ. We ask this in the name of our risen Savior. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.